Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Praise God. Well, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. We are uh, just got a lot of exciting things going on right now. As I mentioned, we've got a baptism coming up on October the 8th. I love seeing people get baptized. Uh, whether it's, and I love especially seeing children and youth get baptized because uh, that means that they're on the right track. That means that they've started something in their life that I believe can continue. Hey, Jason, turn me down just a little bit, please. But I love seeing kids get baptized because it means that, you know, it, that if they stay on that path, that, you know, they can continue serving God their whole life. And I don't ever want to see... Uh, I, I don't subscribe and believe that uh, teenagers are going to just go away from God and they're going to go and live in sin and, and break a lot of stuff and ruin a lot of stuff and then come back to God. How many of you know it doesn't have to be that way? It doesn't have to be that way. And if you've accepted that or you have that line of thinking, that, that's not right. Uh, because I, I know a lot of teenagers that have served God their whole life and never walked away. doesn't mean they were perfect, but they followed God and they've stayed. I've seen a lot of them come up in this church that way. That's one of the privileges of doing it for 13 years, you know, is that we've seen kids that, that came as teenagers. They followed God. They got married. Now they're serving in the church. Now they're raising kids in the church. That's a beautiful thing about staying planted in one place, you know, for a long time. And, uh, man, it's beautiful to see that. Of course, kids, you know, can have seasons away, but that's not what I'm expecting, amen? And that's not what you should be expecting for your kids. Also, we've got uh, a special event coming up uh, that we're participating in called Socktoberfest. And this is we're raising, we are collecting socks, I should say new socks, uh, for the foster care closet uh, during the month of October. So you'll see out front by the bricks, you'll see a place where we're collecting new socks, uh, fresh socks, all sizes, kids and youth sizes. Um, so, and you go, well, do you have to say new socks? Yes. The answer is, yes, you do have to specify that. This is not, uh, your, you know, just a local, you know, Goodwill or something like that. We want, we want to give new, new everything in the best. Amen. I think, hey, I know some of y'all, y'all can afford it. Okay, go get some good socks and bring them and, get, and give your best. This morning, we are continuing a series uh, called Noah. I was going to say, again, I think I was about to repeat myself and say on doing a sermon on the book of Noah. I don't know why I have to keep telling myself that there is no book of Noah. It's the book of Genesis, but it's a series on Noah. And we're in the fourth week, and we've talked about how we've, we've been looking at this process that we see in God, uh, the way he does things. And so we've pointed out that God, first of all, he sees. He's aware and he sees everything that's going on. And next we looked at the fact that after he sees, then God preserves. He sees the wickedness, then he preserves the righteous. And he's preserving the righteous in preparation for what comes next, which is judgment. So God sees, then he preserves, then God judges. This is what we see laid out in uh, the story of Noah in the book of Genesis and then also in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, so turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verse 5, if you brought your Bible. If not, look with me on the screen. We're going to read that in just a moment. But as you turn there, I want to tell you this, this story I was thinking about in preparation for this sermon. How many of you have ever had something that was just building on the inside of you? 
just building. And, and, I, and I, it could be any emotion, but I think about like anger or frustration. And then we say things like, okay, I've had it up to here. You know, I like that t-shirt I saw one time, you know, uh, I've got one nerve left, left and you're on it. You ever, you ever seen that? You know, something's just building. I think we've probably all experienced this either in marriage or with our children. Like there's something going on. I'm putting up with something. You keep doing something and it's just building, it's building, it's building. It doesn't necessarily go away, right? Like it's not like something happens and then it subsides. And for some reason, the way this works is it doesn't really, the emotion might subside, but somehow it just actually stacks, and it just builds until we eventually have that moment where we might say, you know, we blow our top or, uh, you know, the lid comes off and it just all boils over. You ever had a moment like that? A lot of times we end up making a fool of ourselves in those, in those moments. Sometimes those moments happen, though, and you look back and you go, I think that might have needed to happen. That, that moment just needed to happen. I don't know. It just cleaned out a lot of stuff and solved a lot of problems. But I remember when I was a kid, um, I was probably around eight years old, and I had a fascination with Rambo. I loved John Rambo. And me, the reason I was so upset that I had to wear glasses as a kid, the only reason was because Rambo didn't wear glasses. And, I, you know, I, know, I was basically Rambo. Matter of fact, I think we have a picture I wanted to show you I brought with me this morning. Uh, this is me on my Rambo Big Wheel. Now, this was one of the best moments of my life. You can't really see if they could zoom in, but right there on the front, there's these machine gun blasters on the front. Man, the 80s was awesome. Wasn't the 80s amazing? Machine gun blasters right on the front, Rambo insignia. You can see the beautiful red headband. And uh, I love that. I think when you pedaled, it made like machine gun sounds. They were, but it was just, it was awesome. So I had a fascination with Rambo. I loved Rambo. And then you might have the question, man, did your parents let you watch Rambo when you were eight? That's a little violent. Well, the answer is yes. But in my house, in my house, uh, violence, manly violence was celebrated. For, you know, not like in a negative way, but just in movies, I mean. Uh, there was lots of stuff we couldn't watch, but I don't know. Violence wasn't one of them. You know, we just, we were, we were taught to be aggressive and, and have fun and be manly. Manliness was celebrated. So yeah, we watched Rambo 3. I'm not sure it was the best decision, but you know, we did. So I love John Rambo. And on my birthday one year, to be like Rambo, I wanted a bow and arrow. Because if you remember in Rambo 3, if you've seen it, he has this amazing compound bow with exploding heads, exploding tips that, that he shoots. And I remember I wanted to be like Rambo so bad, and I wanted a bow and arrow. And so for my birthday, my parents got me this bow and arrow. Now, it wasn't equivalent to John Rambo's bow, but it was, it was yellow, and it was a long bow, and it, it wasn't there. But still, I was moving closer. I now had my big wheel, had my bow and arrow. You know, I was, I was ready. And on my birthday, and this may make my brother, because my brother goes to our church, this may make my brother sound like a monster. I want to let you know, he's not a complete monster, okay? Uh, this, to this day, he is very kind-hearted and very gentle, but back in the day, he, we, we, had, we had a lot of problems. I was, I was very, very mistreated, but I've forgiven him since, um, and I've, I've tried to let that go. But on my birthday, I had the bow and arrow, and this was uh, probably a typical interaction for he and I. He was three years older than me, so I got pummeled a lot. But I was on my birthday, and I remember taking the bow outside, 
and I was going to shoot it like John Rambo. I couldn't wait. And my brother comes over. I hadn't even shot it yet. My brother comes over and he says, let me have that bow and arrow. I'm going to shoot it first. And I said, no. Now, I never stood up to my brother. It was very often I did not, very, very rare to stare up to my brother because I would pay the price. And so he said, let me have that bow and arrow. I'm going to shoot it. And I said, no. Well, he ends up punching me several times, throwing me to the ground. He takes the bow. He looks at it, doesn't even shoot it, and just throws it on the ground and walks off. Well, you see, this had been building on the inside of me. And the only thought I remember going through my mind was, what would Rambo do? That's what would Rambo do. And so as he walked away, I mustered all the courage that I had, and I grabbed that longbow at the bottom, and I ran towards the back of his legs, and I swung it like a baseball bat right at the back of his legs, and it brought him to his knees for the first time in my life. (laughs) I had brought, now, of course, I dropped it and ran as fast as I could, and I couldn't outrun him, and so, again, I, I paid the price. But the point was that it had been storing up. It had been building on the inside of me. And, and we've all had those moments, right, where you reach your moment. It's like a boiling point, and it just comes, comes out. Now, I don't know if it's exactly like that, but that's what the Bible teaches us about the wrath of God. See, in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath. See, we don't talk about this a lot in church. And I'm glad I got you laughing before we got real serious. We don't talk a lot about the wrath of God. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about the love of God. We talk about the mercy of God. But let me just tell you, the only thing that makes the love, mercy, and grace of God so good is when you understand the wrath of God. See, the the mercy and the grace of God... Uh, The forgiveness of God is so good because of what the alternative is. And Romans 2, 5 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Listen, this is going to be a day like none of us have ever seen before. When we talk about the second coming, the, the Bible calls it many things. It says the day of the Lord the day of God, that day as if it were the only day, the the, the day of all days, but it's also called the day of wrath. Think about that. That day, the return of God, for for a group of people, it's going to be a day of rescue and salvation. For another group, it's going to be a day of judgment and wrath. And you see, without this understanding, you really don't understand the gospel. This is the core of what the gospel is. For example, we throw this term around a lot. Praise God, I'm saved. Well, I ask, saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the righteous judgment that would be poured out upon sin. And here's what we we need to know about the way God sees things. There is no forgiveness, there is no mercy outside of Jesus Christ. And even if it seems like it's being, uh, being withheld, if judgment is being withheld, it's not being withheld. That wouldn't be the correct way to say it. It's not being withheld. It's being stored up. See, all the evil, all the wickedness that has ever happened on this earth, every single injustice, every single sin, 
it will be paid for one way or another. It will either be paid for on the cross. It will, it, it will either be paid for by what Jesus did on the cross or it will be paid for by you experiencing the wrath of God. So salvation is, salvation is being, being set apart, being rescued from judgment and from the wrath of God. But if you reject that salvation... And if you reject that offer of salvation, the only thing left for you is judgment and wrath. What is the point of judgment? Well, the point of judgment is to execute justice, number one. You know, when we look around our uh, nation and we, we look in the political spheres of our world, you know, even if that's local government, state government, federal government, you look and there's so many injustices on every level. We would never look at a political leader that just, you know, let stuff go and let stuff fall off and oh, they're letting these ones off the hook and these murders and these criminals go, they're not doing anything about it. We wouldn't look at that and go, oh, look how merciful they are. We would go, you're not doing your job because your job is to execute justice. And God is a God of justice. He's the one that established the idea of justice, and he would not be a good God to just, oh, just let everything go. Everything will be set right. Everything will be set in order. Every single injustice, wickedness, sin will be paid for one way or another. It will either have been paid for by the cross of Christ, or it will be paid for by judgment and wrath. Now, it may sound heavy to use the word wrath, but it's a Bible word. It's the word that the Bible uses. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to look at, I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So we're, we've, we're seeing the process, right? God sees, God preserves, and now God judges. Verse 4, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Now, what I want you to do this morning, we're going to have, we're going to have a good time at the end, okay? We're going to have a good time where we focus on the grace and the goodness of God. But what I want you to do this morning is, I want you to let the reality of what we're reading here smack you right between the eyes. Okay, we're going to read the Word of God. We're not going to soften it. Okay, we're, we're not going to candy coat it. I want you to just hear how serious this is and, and what God is doing in this moment. He said, for in 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights it will rain. And listen, every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. That's severe. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 11, we're going through it. We're not going to read every verse because we're just getting the idea through the whole chapter. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Verse 17. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, 
livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Do you see how serious sin is? See, when I read this, it gives me a reverence and a respect for how severe and how serious sin is. You know why this is having to happen? Because of the, the first little bit of sin that creeped in in the garden. That first little cancerous blot of sin that crept in, it spread to all of humanity to the point that every living thing on the planet was corrupted and God said the only answer is to blot it all out and start over. And this is a picture of exactly what's going to happen in the end time. The good news, the, good, the, the best part about that, the good part about that is it's not going to just be Noah and his family. Noah and his family are a, are a type or a symbol of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Every single person that professes Jesus Christ and is born again will, found, will find salvation and preservation just like Noah found it in the ark. But no, make no mistake about it. Uh, what happens in the end? Okay, what happens in the end? If you've read your Bible and you've read through Revelation, what happens in the end is more severe than what happened in Noah's day. Because in the end, the Bible says that the whole planet is actually dissolved by fire. It's all dissolved, melted away. And not just the earth, the entire universe. And God starts over fresh with, with his body and his sons and his daughters. And everything is made perfect. All because of what? All because of sin entering. And see, we play around with sin. We see our kids sinning. We see sin in our own life. We, we shrug it off. Oh, you know, just. It's the same thing that caused this. It's the same thing that caused this. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19:23. This one's a little shorter. But same thing, we're going to look at that judgment that God brought. Genesis 19:23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah. Sulfur, fire from the Lord out of heaven... And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So same thing happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that instance, um, you know, it wasn't a worldwide event the way it was with Noah. It was just a, a, a community, a local area that was brought to that level. And we remember looking when Abraham had the conversation with Noah. He said, look, if there's ten righteous, would you save the whole city? And he said, yeah. If there were even ten, I would spare the whole city. And he couldn't find even, even ten. So, I guess my message to you in this first part is judgment is coming coming on this earth. Uh, it's, a, it's a basic fundamental part of the Christian faith 
uh, we already know how this thing is going to end. We already know what's going to happen on this world. We already know how it's going to end. We know what's going to happen. We know what God's going to do next. The book tells us every, every bit of it. Now, for those who believe, all, all, for those who believe, we have plenty of time to prepare. The Bible gives us all the necessary and right things to do to avoid that and to be brought into His family and, and to avoid that judgment. And, and that's the whole point of the cross. You see, without what we're talking about this morning, the cross, it, it seems to not make sense to a lot of people. I've talked to many that are not in church that when they hear, what, yeah, Jesus died for my sin. Yeah, I don't really know what I did. Uh, what, Jesus died, I don't, I don't quite get it. That's what, without this understanding of what sin is and how serious it is and what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future, yeah, the cross seems like a light thing. But when you understand what we're truly being saved from, when you understand what's truly coming on this earth, all of a sudden the cross is the most greatest, merciful, beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And guess what? There's not a person in this room, no matter how holy you think you are, how self-righteous you think you are, there's not a person in this room that deserves that salvation without Christ or apart from Christ. Without Christ, this is our lot. Without Christ, this is our destiny. The final judgment, 2 Peter 3.10. We could read a lot of scripture, but we're going to read just a couple. 2 Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Then the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That's how this thing is going out. I know we talk about global warming. That's global warming. That's in the, in the greatest sense. So it is correct in that sense. It is all ending with global warming. But... Not maybe the way people think. And notice what it says. It says that we should hasten and wait for the coming of the day of God. You know why? Because it is the final solution. It is the final answer. Mankind is never going to solve the sin problem. At best, mankind, churches the body of Christ, at best, mankind is going to improve and mitigate the situation. But it's never, the sin, the sin problem is never going to be solved. Why? Because we know the end already. We know how it ends. If it, if it, if it wasn't there telling us that this is how it ends, then we might think, well, maybe there's a solution that we come upon. Maybe the, the gospel just spreads to the whole world and, and we don't have to end this way. But we already have the prophecy, we already know the end from the beginning. We know how the world ends. And it is, it is extremely intense and extremely severe. So in verse 11, what he says, he says, Since all these things are to be dissolved, in other words, this is where the direction is going. He said, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, since you know this is how things are going to end, how ought that to impact the way that you live? In, specifically, holiness and godliness. 
But in addition to that, how ought it to impact the decisions that we make, knowing that every single thing we build, every single thing we store up, every single thing we do on this planet is just going to be dissolved. It's just going to be burned up. There's going to be nothing left. I've told this story before. I heard a pastor uh, mention before he was talking about being in Bible school with a couple students, and one student was bragging about all, because he'd come from a wealthy family, and he was talking about all the things he had and all the wonderful, you know, uh, vehicles and homes and things he had and and uh, the other student didn't have much and he was sitting there listening and he finally looked at him and he said yeah so your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine <laughs> but that's the right perspective not, not saying we can't have nice stuff do nice stuff of course that God doesn't have a problem with that but it in the right perspective and in his right place just understanding it's all gonna burn up it's all gonna burn up so how ought we to live knowing what the end is? It ought to change the way that we live. Amen? Amen. It, ought to change, it ought to change our daily decisions. It ought to change whether we get up and come to church or not in the morning. It ought to change how we raise our kids. It ought to change whether we forgive or not. Because yes. I don't want to stand before a holy God and have to explain why He forgave me of all of this. And he, and he saved me from all of this, but I couldn't let that little one thing go that that one person said one time or did. I don't want to have to stand before God and answer that. This is what he's saying. He's saying it ought to change the way you live. When you know what's coming, when you know how it's going to end. I don't think we meditate enough on these things, and you can see why. It's a hair heavy in the room this morning. You can feel it's just a little, a little heavy in here. It's not necessarily fun to meditate on, but it's important to think about it every now and then. Amen? Amen. Revelation 19.11. This is what John saw in the apocalypse. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This again, not a side of God we think about a lot. You know, Jesus is described as the lion and the lamb. Uh, at this point, the lamb is... That lamb side is done with. We're on to the lion part. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His clothed, he, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So again, this is the, this is the end. Uh, this is how all things will end. Now we could spend a whole other sermon talking about what comes next. Because what comes next is the Bible says that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. One like we've never experienced. One without any sin, without any violence, without any sickness, where every tear is wiped away. A whole new heaven and a whole new earth. Amen. Amen. What are we seeing here? When we read all these horrific things, all these terrible things that are going to happen, what are, we, what are we really seeing here? Well, what you're seeing is what it looks like when there is no sacrifice for your sin. What you are seeing is what would happen 
if there were no Jesus. What you are seeing is what your destiny and your life would be and what your expectation would be if the cross had never happened. So when we see all these things in the Bible, it helps us understand, no, we're not going to experience this. And we're not going to experience it because of the cross of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed. He paid the price for you. These are all statements we say, but I don't know that everybody understands. When you say Jesus paid the price for your sin, this is the price. And it's worse than that because there's eternity that comes next. And we could spend a whole other sermon meditating on the horrors of hell and what hell is going to be like and what the eternal hell and fire and brimstone is going to be like. And then we would really begin to understand the value of salvation. We would really begin to understand the value of what we've been saved from. But see, what we don't realize sometimes is that we're being shielded. Even those that are wicked, sinful, are being shielded because they're in a time where repentance and grace is being given. It's like living on this planet. You know, we, we live on this planet, and just outside the atmosphere is chaos. Right? You, you go outside the atmosphere, there's rocks flying through the air, meteors, asteroids, ra- all kinds of radiation, you know, stars on fire, stars exploding, you know, extreme temperatures, cold, comets, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that'll kill you. And, and why are we not experiencing any of that? Because we're in a bubble. We're in a bubble of protection. It's pretty miraculous, actually, because when you look at every other planet, <laughs> it doesn't really have the, the same protection that we have right here on this one. What protects us is our atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere. But if one day that atmosphere ever just went away, everything and everyone would die instantly. And all of the chaos that's out there would now come here. But we have a bubble of, of protection around us. You might say, a force field, you know, if you like Star Wars. It's there. And the, and the scientists can't quite explain it, by the way. But it's just a bubble of protection around this earth. And if that went away, everyone would die instantly because there would be a loss of air pressure and the effect would be immediate. Humans and animals would be unable to breathe. Your bodily fluids would boil as the boiling point plummeted and several... Uh, types of tissue and organisms would actually be vaporized and there would be lots of things on the planet that would actually spontaneously combust because of all the radiation and heat. I don't know these things right off the top of my head. I had to look it up, but that's what I found. And there's probably a lot more that could be talked about that would happen. But the point is, is that instantly everything that's out there would come here and the results would be catastrophic, but there's a buffer between us and all of that out there. What we're reading about this morning is about all of the justice and all of the penalties and all of the consequences that are going to come because of the sin, wickedness, and the wrath of God attached to it. And you either have that protection or you don't. And there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day where that buffer is removed. And the only thing you're going to have is the blood of Jesus. And if you don't have that on your life, there will be nothing to shield you from those consequences, those severe consequences of the judgment of God.
Now, we don't preach, say, a lot of, uh, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone here. I could do it if you wanted me to. I could probably, I could probably be pretty good at it. But we don't do a lot of that here, you know, there, because there's the, the Bible's full of other stuff, right? That's not the only thing in the Bible. But I do think it provides a foundational understanding that even though it's not preached on a lot, <clears throat> it provides a foundational understanding that we need to live with in the back of our mind. We need to live with, in the back of our mind, the trajectory that things are on and, and where we're headed. Because it affects, it affects everything. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Is that you? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, there's that concept again that the wrath of God is being stored up. Those who are in Christ, that's been removed off of their life, and they have no fear because perfect love casts out fear. And when you're in the love of God, and you know you're loved by God, and you love God, no reason to fear. But if not, the wrath of God remains and you will stand before God and you will answer for your own merit, on, on your own merit. That will all, that's all you will have. You will stand before God and you will try to justify your life based off of your own merit and your own works. And every single sin will have to be answered for. It's like if you went, and you might think that's unfair, but it's like if you went to court and... And you had to stand there and you had a list of 52 offenses that you'd done. And, you know, there was like one big one. And you're like, well, you know, can I just answer for that one? They're all like, no, there's 52 counts of this. You're going to answer for every one. There's not one that went under the radar. And the justice system that we have today, the court system that we have today, it doesn't compare to God's justice system. Because in our, in our justice system, there's probably things you did about in your life that you got away with that nobody knew about. There are probably things you got away with that covered up and things you did said that you thought nobody found out about. In God's justice system, it doesn't work like that because he's all-knowing. He knows every single thing you've ever did. And guess what? He does something else our court system can't do. He knows every thought you've ever had. And you're answering to God for that too. He knows every word you've ever spoken. He knows every motive you've ever had. Now, God's not just sitting up there waiting to, to punish us. If that was the case, there'd be no cross. Think about how good God must be. He knows all of that, and he says, I'm going to wipe it all away under one simple condition. I'm going to let my son pay your fee, your price. I'm going to let my son pay the price and absorb the wrath of God for you. It's so simple. You don't have to be judged based on your works. You don't have to be judged based on what you did. I'll wipe it all away. It's so simple. All you got to do is put faith in Christ and believe in the sacrifice that he made for you. And not only that, will you receive forgiveness and mercy for everything you've ever done, but I'll invite you into my family and make you a son or a daughter of God. And I'll bring you and let you be part of my kingdom. And not only that, not only will you become a son or a daughter, but the same reward that I give Jesus, the same inheritance that I give him for doing what he did of coming to earth as a man, dying on the cross, being resurrected and living, the same inheritance that I'm going to give him, I'm going to make you a co-heir of that inheritance under one simple thing all you got to do is repent of your sin turn to me and believe in Jesus Christ now that's a deal or or you can reject that offer or you can reject that offer and you can say nope I don't believe in Jesus I don't believe he was the son of God 
I think that's all a fairy tale. And in that case, you're on your own. You'll, you'll, you'll stand before God and you'll give an account of your life on your own merit and your own works. And I'll just tell you in advance, that's not going to go well. There's not a single person that ever walked on this planet that will stand before a holy God and actually be justified on their own merit because of the sin that we live in and were born into. So it's actually a pretty good deal. Now, what is the point of judgment? We already asked this question. We, we talked about number one. The point is to execute justice and satisfy the holiness and wrath of God because these things can't be overlooked. They had to be dealt with, and the way God chose to deal with it was by putting the pain and the penalty on His own Son instead of you. But another part of judgment, another reason that there will be judgment, is to vindicate the righteous. And this is a big point that we also need to consider when it comes to God. It, is, it, it helps us learn and know a lot about God. It, it brings God tremendous pleasure to vindicate those who live righteously and faithfully, even among the wicked and the perverse world that they live in. You see, every day, as Christians, in one sense or another, if we're living as we should, we stand up for God. We stand up for righteousness. We stand up for holiness. When the world says, this is normal, this is good, and the, those that love God stand up and go, no, that's wicked. That's sinful. That is not, that does not bring pleasure to God. No, that's not right. We won't do that. We won't participate in that. That's not good for you. It's not good for the world. We love God, and they curse his name, and they blaspheme and say, no, we love God. And they say, well, you're an idiot. Well, we love him anyway. Okay, when, when that happens day after day, can I also tell you that God sees that? God sees those who are striving to live and follow him faithfully in a world that is broken, perverse, and wicked. And there'll be a day that that's vindicated. There will be a day that that is rewarded, and it will be rewarded in grand fashion. This is another part of the judgment of God, because when the judgment comes, it will be obvious to everyone that God, in fact, does exist. <laughs> that there is a God, His Word is true, and He is the judge of the whole all earth. He is the creator of the whole earth. All of that will become abundantly clear and undeniable. The Bible actually tells us, that when that day comes, that all eyes will see the return of Christ. That everyone, all will see and that many will be hiding from, from the face of the Lamb. So it will not be a question of whether or not, and this will be a day of vindication. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5. It says, since indeed God considers it just Listen closely to these words. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. See, <clears throat> see, the judgment is not just about what people have done to God. It's about what they've done to his kids. That matters to God too. That's why he says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. This is why, as a Christian, it becomes so important that you don't avenge yourself. We're not allowed 
to repay evil with evil. We're not allowed to repay wicked with wickedness. Why? Because there'll be a day where all of it is reconciled. He says, let me fight for you. That's my job. It's not your job to bring judgment and, and revenge and repayment. It's your job to forgive because I've forgiven you. And God has this in his mind. There will be a day where all of this is paid for and all of this is made right. So he said he considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Look at that last verse. It says, when he comes on that day to be glorified and to be marveled at among all those who believe. In other words, we will all see him coming. The Bible says there's going to be a trumpet that sounds. It says the sky is going to be rolled back like a scroll. And for the first time, we won't have to guess. Okay? No, no one, there will be no argument about whether God exists. And it will be the ultimate moment of vindication. For those that have stood faithful, those that have followed God, and those who have not, there will be a distinction in that moment. Isaiah 25, 8 tells us the same thing. It says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people, the shame that we've experienced, the, the, the cursing, the persecution that the people of God throughout the centuries, the martyrdom, the violence that the people of God have experienced throughout the centuries. It says, The reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. How many of you are waiting for the Lord? How many of you are waiting, expecting there's going to be a day that Jesus comes back? There's going to be a day that Jesus sets everything right. There's going to be a day that the order of this world and, and everything in it is set right and correct under his rulership. And those that knew that and followed that and waited for that are going to be blessed in that day. The flood of Noah's day was a, was a moment of vindication for Noah. His whole family, they'd live righteous the whole time. He'd, li he'd live righteous in, in the middle of complete wickedness. And the moment that the, the rain began to fall, it was a moment of vindication for Noah. The return of the king will be our moment of vindication. Now, please keep in mind when we talk about these things, that what we want is we want mercy and grace and forgiveness. We don't want judgment. God doesn't want judgment. That's why all of it's being withheld right now. You know, the Bible says that uh, in, in John, it says that the first coming of Christ was not about judgment. It says he didn't come to judge. He came to bring grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? That's what the first coming was about. The second coming 
is about judgment. Second coming is about judgment. And, at the, and, and we have a space and time that we can repent and that we can follow God and we can make a decision right now to live for God. Amen?